Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hello, listeners. Hello, sweetheart. Hello. So, people, later on in this episode, we're doing a third week around the idea of re-entering society. Like, that's it, where it started, but it's not even there now. It's not even there. It's morphed. It's so cool because it's like that we, we started off with a, a, a conversation about re-entering society and what that looks like and maybe what how far back we want to go back in. And that introduced some new questions that we sort of like explored last week during the podcast. Great conversation. Then we got all kinds of comments and emails from listeners Mm -hmm. with their ideas about stuff we talked about last week. And so it spawned a third episode sort of on this rabbit trail of ideas, which I love. Yeah, so it's it started out being apropos of the idea of re-entering society, but now really it's, it's turning into more being about like, how do what needs to change? What do we want to bring with us from the before times into the after times? Mm-hmm. And thoughts around that, like, what if we could reorient our society? What if this is an inflection point that we can imagine something new from? What if? What if? So we'll be talking about that in the second part of the show. I wonder how long we can keep this going, by the way. Like, I wonder Maybe. how long we can keep this string going. Maybe, like, the rest of this season's podcast is all, like, just the next questions that come from the ones before. Maybe it just turns into a podcast about this. Maybe the name of the podcast changes. <laughs> Nobody knows what the future is going to bring. That's right. First, though, people, here's the deal. Misfit Stars is a container, and it contains a number of things. Mm. One of the things it contains is this podcast, for sure. But it contains so much more than that. It contains every single thing that Shannon and I do in the world, all of which are community-centric endeavors. And Misfit Stars is also the vehicle through which our people support the work that Shannon and I do in the world. And we would love to invite you Mm -hmm. to be a part of that support, to be a part of that community, to be a part of helping us do the work that we do in the world on an ongoing basis. Uh, If you would like to do that, please just go to misfitstars.com slash support and just throw your voice in with ours, uh, with our choir. We would really appreciate it. It would be of genuine help. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, we're, the the support that we get from you ter- helps us turn around and support other people. Yeah, It's a huge part of it. And so the more support we have, the more we can pay that forward. The, more, right. the more of our time you are literally paying for. Mm-hmm. My time supporting other artists. Shannon's time supporting other people. It's just, it's a lot of what we do these days. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good deal. So, misfitstars.com slash support, please and thanks. Thank you so much. Do you I have any announcements, Shannon? I, I don't think we have any announcements. Can you do the song anyway? I miss it. Announcements, announcements, announcements. Because there's aren't there, I, I ended like on a minor key. That's nice. There aren't no announcements. any announcements. Yeah, there's nothing to announce. That's like the sad trombone version of the announcement song. Yeah, that's okay. I'm sorry. You know what? It's not sad generally. It's just sad from the perspective of the announcements themselves. I know. Oh, there's none of us today. How sad. But we don't care. It's okay. It just is what We're it moving is. Moving right along. Yes. So how are you feeling? You know what? I feel great today. Ah, feel glad. really really good. Uh, yeah, I'm just cheerful, optimistic. Uh, there's a couple small, fun things on our horizon I'm lightly excited about. Uh, I don't know. I'm feeling good for me. I'm feeling good in my relationship with you. Mm. Not that I ever don't, really, but some days I just feel very in love. You know I what get I mean? You. I yeah. feel you. Yeah. And it's nice to celebrate those moments, and I'm having one now. Awesome. Um, in your description, I, you said lightly excited, and I thought a great band name for some band would be Light Excitement. 
Light Excitement. That'd be a good band name, don't you think? Or at least an album name. Okay, maybe an album name. Well, maybe yeah. I'll use it one of these days. All right, all right, <laughs> cool. It's a whole song about things that we're not that stoked about. We no. hope you sort of enjoy it. No, or but don't. You could, it, could, it could have a different meaning, like excitement about light. Light. There's just. Light excitement. This is oh, how I think about things. Yeah. I like it. I anyway, like it. I didn't mean to derail your that how would, you're that feeling. That would be great. An entire record about enjoying light or mm. being a fan of the phenomenon of light. Particles, waves, uh, refraction, reflection. There's so many things you could talk about. I love it. Science. Hmm. Great. So uh, how are you feeling, Sugar? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. It is um, warm here in the Puget Sound area, and it's fixing to be warmer. Fixing. Uh, it's fixing to be downright hot. Like, I, I, I have never since living here ever looked at my weather forecast app on my phone and seen the number 100 in the forecast. There's and never been a three-digit number in our I experience. I have seen that now, and I'm dreading it. <laughs> it's, it's an unwelcome development. It is. It Anyth- really is. Anything over about 85 here gets uncomfortable. It, it does. We don't have air conditioning. A lot of people don't because... Typically, we haven't needed it, but folks, the climate is a changing, mm. and uh, we are a part of this like I guess this this do- heat dome they're calling it that's covering like all of the Western United States. Terrible, like half the western half of the United States this is covered in this sucks. heat dome, and I mean it's wreaking havoc on places. You More know, like, like crap dome. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because it sucks. Anyway, this is all to say that it's very, it's warm here, and that can make me feel sort of lethargic and. And uncomfortable. Sure. And so that's part of my experience of how I'm feeling. But like in terms of like emotionally, I feel really good. Good. Like I think some of the things, same things that you were describing, we've got some fun things on our calendar. Um, we've gotten to do some fun things and like fun social interactions. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Being social with vaccinated people. What? What? So great. So like it's it's, it's fun. Um, I'm finding myself still with those social interactions. Um feeling like energized uh, when I'm there and excited to be there, you know, even if it's just a couple people, you know, like friends for dinner or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, you know, uh, something larger. I love it, love it, love it. And then I leave or I come home and my body just crashes. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm just completely deflated. So I'm definitely not still a, a, a back up to like... Um, uh, cruising altitude no. <laughs> on my like energy for socializing. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're not down to fighting weight with this yet. No, but yeah. you know, getting there. And, and so generally I feel great. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Good. Happy uh, to hear that. Yeah. Let's fire up the good news machine. Let's do that indeed. Okay. Uh, do you want to start? You want me to start? What's, what do you do? You've got two and I've got one. So you do one, I'll do one, then you well, do no, one. Well, I want to do both mine together. So. Oh, okay. Then yeah. I'll do mine. Okay. So mine is that a young man named Carl Nassib became the first active NFL player to come out as gay. Amazing. So healthy and good for that environment. I read that he has been agonizing over doing this for 15 years. I bet. And that just makes me, I mean, I'm so proud of him for for doing it. And I watched a little, we watched a little video clip of him talking about it last night. He just seems very sweet. Yes. And like, he seemed just so comfortable in his own skin and just what a great role model for so many uh, for so many, you know, uh, younger people who are gay, seeing someone who's in the NFL, you yeah. know, just being 
a role model. It's, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. And it's really important to note, too, that he's not the first gay NFL player. No. He's just the first one who has felt like he can come out and say it. Because well, the NFL has been such a horribly heteronormative environment since its inception. Yeah. Really, well, really unhealthy. There was a, I, I read this morning, uh, there was a, a player that was going to be in the NFL draft a few years back who had who had, had been expected to perform really well in the draft. Like he was going to be, they, everybody thought he was going to be one of the one of the team's top picks mm -hmm. and just before sometime just before the draft he came out mm -hmm. and didn't get picked mm. <laughs> like so you're right the 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 culture around that has been just to shut out you know uh the ability for people to show up as themselves yeah and, uh, and to discriminate to exclude yeah to ruin people's careers and lives yeah rather than accept who they are fundamentally as people yeah yeah so it is good news that yeah. he came out and I, I i my heart just hurts for the fact that he's had to agonize over this for a decade and a half yeah. i mean just wow it's funny so when i was younger i loved to watch football. I, mm. I really enjoyed it. Like right mm. around the turn of the millennium, <laughs> um, <laughs> way back in the before times, <laughs> I did. Like my sister and I and a, a number of our friends, we would get together every single mm -hmm. uh, every single Sunday. Our friends Rick and Mike and sometimes Derek and Richard, we had like a little six-person thing and we would just like get super drunk, watch <laughs> all of the football, watch all the best games, had a great time. And like there is a part of me that absolutely loves the sport, loves the game, and it's an, it's an amazing game. The athleticism, the physicality are unparalleled in certain ways. But man, the more you get to know about it, it just, at a certain point, as you develop more of a moral life, it becomes untenable for a certain type of person, at very least for me, mm. to continue to watch it. Because I can no longer watch football without thinking about how horribly racist it is, mm. you know? It's it's sort of a new form of slavery, you know what I mean? It's really weird. It's colonial in nature at very least. It's a bunch of rich white people using mostly black people as disposable, discardable, interchangeable, replaceable widgets by which to enrich themselves. Right, the ways in which their health is, players' health is not prioritized. Absolutely. And, you know, Colin Kaepernick getting essentially, well, not essentially, completely booted from the league because he was trying to uh, do a very modest uh, uh, protest for racial equality yeah. or against police violence, yep. you know, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. like, you know. Which, of course, demonstrates that that the people who run the NFL are pro-police violence and pro-racial discrimination. Right. That's what that means. Right. And that's really messed up and not cool. Right. And I just... I can't overlook that stuff. I wish I could. I feel hopelessly earnest to my own detriment, but like I just, mm -hmm. I can't do it. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for me. I can't watch it without having those things in my mind. Mm -hmm. It's just hard. Yeah. Sometimes I can like catch a game and be like, oh, it was super fun. But inevitably my mind wanders back to all the ways in which those people whose amazing performances I was just enjoying are being exploited. Right. Well, and I suppose there is a way, there's a possibility that the that as an institution it could change fundamentally. Yeah. And yep. you know, stuff like uh, like uh, uh, Carl Nasib coming out, you know, as gay, and, and well, this will be an opportunity for the institution to decide how they're going to how they're going to act. You know what I want to see? I want to see like five years from now, every single NFL team having like rainbow shit on their uniforms for, for like Pride Month. Heck yeah. They don't even play in June. I don't care. Like <laughs> like like during training or something. <laughs> sure, I don't know. What are they yeah. doing? They're doing something, right? I don't know. I mean, a banner on their webpage. It'd be something. Yeah.
Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that's great news. I have two pieces of good news, and I wanted to say them together because both of these uh, harken back to the whole reason that we started the Fire Up the Good News Machine segment of this podcast. Remember back right after the inauguration? Um, I, I rem- well, I remember. I'll tell you my recollection. Okay. But like, like the day, the day, the night of the inauguration, we stayed up late because we always stay up late. So by the time we were going to bed, it was like uh, early morning hours on the East Coast, mm-hmm. Washington DC time, and so press releases were going out early in the morning and we were getting news alerts about the 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 stuff that this new brand new administration was going to be doing mm-hmm. and and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting a news alert and I'm not panicking. Like, because yeah. it was actually good news. And this yeah. was this was actually one of the things that that inspired us to start this segment on the podcast was that happening. Like, oh my gosh, we're actually getting good news on our phone for a change. Mm. And both of these relate to that, to, to, to uh, moves from this new, the, the Biden administration um, uh, writ large. The first one is that the education department is issuing guidance that discriminating against LGBTQ students is prohibited under Title IX. Hell yeah. It used to be the case that this was the the guidance Mm -hmm. that the Education Department followed, but then that was changed under the Trump administration. The Trump administration was like, hey, why don't you discriminate against them? Go for it. Just discriminate all you want. That's been changed, and these students are going to be offered protection under Title Title IX, which is just such great news. Um, And the second one is the Justice Department which uh, operates independently of the administration, but is, is you know, led by, by folks that the administration nominated for those positions, so their policies do change. And then this is one ex- example uh, that the Justice Department has ended a Trump-era policy that made it nearly impossible for people to seek asylum, uh, like immigrants to seek asylum here in the United States mm-hmm. over credible fears of domestic abuse or gang violence. Mm. That was a policy that was just horrifically ended during the Trump era yeah. um, that that, that they were denying, they were making it like, like nearly impossible for folks who were facing life-threatening violence in their home countries, mm-hmm. either from, from partners, like, you know, uh, domestic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, abuse situations or gang violence. Mm-hmm. Like, but folks used to be able to come to the United States and be like, my life is in danger in my home, com- my home country. Can I come in? Yeah. And we would have been like, yes, please come in. We will help you work towards citizenship. Or we will you, you give are, you asylum. You are huddled masses yearning to be free. Exactly. Please come. Exactly. It says so on the statue we made for this. The, that's right. The, the whole Statue of Liberty thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the French made it, but still. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the point is that that, that that policy, I mean, it's just cr- like the cruelty is the point like what why why change that policy like the most desperate vulnerable people we're gonna just turn our backs to them because of some stupid isolationist ideology like it's just yes that's, it was what, we, that's so what we are going to do incredibly cruel that has been reversed Woo-hoo. and it's just good news like these both of these things are just like yeah you know what elections matter the work that we did in the election all of you who listen who are listening who did work getting out the vote you know, working for voter protection, you know, all the stuff that you did mattered because we now have an administration that's able to do these kinds of policies. Uh, even if stuff that we want to see done in Congress is getting like held up by 
really stupid, frustrating people. Yeah. Like these are policies that the administration is able to enact all on their own as a function of their responsibility in running the federal government. And it is for the good of people. It is for the good of a couple of different populations who otherwise, uh, who, who are vulnerable and marginalized in this society. These policies will uh, will will help will help them. Yeah, it will be good to them. And you know, not to be a downer, but these policies can also switch back next time we have a president who feels differently. I know that, which means that we need to get this stuff into law. Yeah, we do. We really do. And the state of Congress and getting things into law is a whole other bag of bullshit. But yeah. like, as a conversation for another day. But. Still, we'll take the wins when we get them. Yeah, we will. We yeah. absolutely will. Yeah. So uh, last week, boy, we had a cool week last week. It was just yes. uh, there was a mixture, a good mixture of outdoorsiness and indoorsiness. <laughs> <laughs> so on the outdoorsy front, we visited Mount St. Helens for the first time. Yeah. So this is this is part of this is like the beginning of sort of like a goal we have set for this summer. So you know, uh, those of you who know us and have known us for a while know that normally in the summertime we're driving around the country in our Volkswagen doing house concerts. 22,000 or so miles in the car, exploring the country, doing shows. Yeah, which we didn't do last year because of COVID. Mm -hmm. We did a Zoom uh, tour instead. We did 50 concerts on Zoom mm -hmm. last summer. Wow. Mm -hmm. Total um, side note, but I had a little ongoing map thing that I called Zoom Across America. Uh -huh. I loved that. That's so good. Yeah. I know. Anyway. Was, that was really nice. Anyway, did that last summer. This summer, um, we're still not doing our house concert tour for reasons. I mean, mostly it's COVID still. Mm -hmm. Like There are parts of the country where gathering with vaccinated folks is perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, well, anywhere. It's anywhere. It's <laughs> fine to gather with vaccinated folks. The problem is when you're putting together a tour. How that many vaccinated Vaccinated folks are there and where? It, yeah, and it depend. It differs by region. It differs like from from house to house, and like the idea. Look, when we put on a house concert event, we want this to be an open-hearted celebration and come one, come all. It's predicated it to, on abundance. It is, and comfort and like just you know everybody coming together uh, to have to do organize all these events on tour and check vaccination cards and because like we just we don't want to be responsible for for initiating an event at which you know even a, a vaccinated person can can get can get infected yes you know it can happen we don't want to want to be responsible for somebody spreading a virus at an event that we have initiated and then going home and and giving it to a, a vulnerable family member who can't get vaccinated for some reason right you know like uh, and, and causing major health problems for them so it just it it was not it was be an irresponsible decision for us to can't do it this to year do a tour so all that to say our goal for this summer, since and and no Zoom concerts because who who wants to be on Zoom this summer? Raise your hand. If yeah, you, if you're raising hands. your hand right now, you need to seriously examine yourself. <laughs> so because you're like a weirdo. <laughs> we love weirdos. We love That's you. That's true. It's kind of our thing. Yeah, but you know the the point is that we actually have uh, our summertime is very flexible all of a sudden. And so we've set this goal for ourselves. We live in Washington State, which we chose to live in because one of the reasons was because it's. The what best. A, the most beautiful place in the country. Yes. I mean, it's just a stunningly gorgeous place. Yeah. And summertime is perfect here. Like, yeah. it is absolutely perfect. And we have the flexibility to actually explore it during the summer months. How exciting. Wow. So we made this little plan that, like, midweek, every week, we're going to try to get out for some adventure. Yeah. Midweek, because we're going to try to avoid the crowds on the weekends, yeah. you know? And we can do that with our flexible schedule. Mm -hmm. So we did our first one. Yes, 
And we did Mount St. Helens. It was so wonderful. So the bulk of the first day is we went to a place called Johnston Ridge, which is just like, it's across the next valley north from uh, the part of Mount St. Helens that blew off to the, to the north. So it didn't, Mount St. Helens didn't erupt upwards. The side of it blew off. It was a lateral eruption. It was a lateral eruption, people. <laughs> uh, and it sent something like 22 billion uh, tons of land like and some of it liquefied, some of it lava, you know, all of it moving real fast down into the river valley below. It sent it something like 20 miles downstream. Yeah. And within something like a couple of hours, it had raised the level of that valley and the river in it 150 feet on average. That's, wild. That's a 15-story building, people. That's Imagine like wild. there was a valley, all of a sudden it's 150 feet higher, and you can watch it happening in real time before your eyes. I mean, you can't, because if you were within eyeshot, you were dead. Because here's why. Ugh. Because it sent, because it blew off sideways, right? Uh, it sent a superheated debris storm that sounds- laterally northwards. I mean, but like north in like 120 degree angle kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know? So like if you hold out your left arm to your left and your right arm to your right, it kind of blew in that sort of pattern, like a sort of like arc in front of you. For miles and miles and miles in, the, in that direction. Yeah, something like 15 miles. You can still to this day see distant mountaintops 10 miles away in the distance Mm -hmm. with what look like toothpicks all laying in an orderly, northerly pointing (laughs) direction. Those are... 300-year-old trees. Old-growth forest trees. Massive, hundreds of feet tall old-growth forest trees that were knocked down, all of them at the same time, Uh boom, by this, again, superheated debris storm. (laughs) The word superheated debris storm sounds like something, a phrase that you would hear in a movie about, like, a science fiction space exploration movie. (laughs) You know, like, having it on another planet. Like, you might might encounter this on Mars. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, superheated debris storm, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that happened just, you know, a couple hours from where we live Holy in 1980. Hell. Wild. Yeah. 80. Which, yeah 80. which in geologic time is, it is Nothing. just a moment ago. It is. Just a little yeah. tiny moment ago. It's brand new still. Mm-hmm. So you can still see all this brand new evidence of this mm-hmm. massive thing that happened. All this destruction, all the vegetation that's just barely starting to regrow, well, all the lava that went everywhere and made stuff. That was one of the fun things about, we went, we went to Mount St. Helens first because I had read somewhere that the wild flowers are really really start to pop out on be Mount honest St. about Hills. where you read it I read it in the AAA magazine hell yeah because I'm sort because of, we're I'm a senior citizen years old. at yeah. heart yeah yep. so but but it's great because like here you know on the backdrop of just like just death and destruction yeah. you know there's this this br- you know brilliant new life popping up you know mm-hmm. and these brilliant reds and purples and blues mm-hmm. and and yellows and just all sorts of colors poking and, up between lava rocks in many situations yeah, it's so cool because it, it gives this shiny black backdrop. It's not just like regular dirt. It's like lava. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And it was really cool to see just, this is a sweet spot for me for like traveling or or like experiences in general. The sweet spot is like a Venn diagram between like beautiful nature. Yep. History uh-huh. and science, right. like, and that's like all those things wrapped. We get, we get to, we got to learn I mean, a whole really, bunch. What you're talking about is geology, because geology is science history. Well, that's what, yeah, that's true. You're right, but, but those things together, like, 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 it wasn't just a cool, cool hikes that we were doing. It wasn't just cool scenery. We also learned a bunch, mm-hmm. and that that I love that. Me too. Really fun. So that was the first day. The second day, though, we went... Um, One of the things we learned, by the way, what? is how hard a chipmunk is willing to hustle you for food handouts. Oh, at a tourist stop? Oh, for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I got There's this one little... Shannon was sitting on a low... Ledge. Stone ledge thing. Uh... 
And there was this little chipmunk that was just badgering her. Oh, yeah. Because it was chipmunking her. Because if it were badgering her, it would be a badger. Oh, that's a good point. You know? Yeah. But she was getting chipmunked real hard. (laughs) I mean, he was like coming with an, I don't know. A few inches. A few inches of her. Uh Repeatedly. And kind of looking up at her. And he didn't look like cheerful about it. He looked kind of pissed. Like, come on. Where's my food, lady? Where's the food, lady? And he kept like going away, striking a cute pose and coming back. Like... You can't feed like the wildlife. Trying to like sing for his supper, sort of. You can't feed the wildlife. You can't do it's it. It's not good for the wildlife. Clearly enough people do it, though. That Oh, it, yeah. Because he's clearly learned. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So the second day was part of that sweet spot. We like, it was adventurous and we learned a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the south side of Mount St. Helens, there's this place called the Ape Cave. Mm-hmm. And our neighbors actually originally told us about this. So we've been looking forward to doing it for a while. Thank you, Joe and Elena. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it was awesome. So awesome. We had to buy, um, we had to get some headlamps. Yeah. Uh, because we, we, we did hiking in a cave. Uh, we spent three hours underground. We hiked for about three miles underground in this, uh, it is, the Ape Cave is the third largest lava tube in North America. And it is just the coolest thing. Uh, It was formed by, thousands of years ago, it was formed by lava seeping out of Mount St. Helens uh, to the south this time. Yep. Um, and uh, and the way that the, that the lava flows, um, it kind of like carves a path in the mountainside as it's going down the hill. Yeah. Um, so it kind of carves like a slide, like a luge slide, sort of, yeah. you know, semicircular shape going down the hill. Yeah. It and, bores it out ahead of it. Yeah. And then as that's happening, because it's like, you know, it's fiery. It's, bur- it's burning it's itself. It's molten. It's burning itself into the, into the mountainside. But at the same time, the outermost part Parts of the of the lava flow cool first because mm-hmm. they're exposed to the air. Yeah. But the middle stays the the lava molten lava core. Yeah. Uh, stays uh, stays hotter and continues to flow through what's hardened and cooled on the outside. Yeah. And so it, it kind of empties itself like a like a like a self forming straw. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like the stuff from inside the straw continues out and then you're left with this tube and it's under it's a cave it's an underground hollow long tube it's amazing so oh my gosh you enter in this, this one spot toward like the in the sort of center of the of the tube and there's one if you go down to the downhill from there it's an easier hike there were like two-year-olds yeah. with their families there it was dark everybody had flashlights and headlamps and stuff but there's just no obstructions in the ground it's easy, easy to walk yeah yeah but still cool like the rock formations so beautiful then and that's a down and back and then we came back to the entry spot and we continued up the hill in the upper cave which is a mile and a half long and you exit at the other end through a skylight which is just so freaking cool like there's a ladder you know built into the rock into the skylight um and as we hiked up that upper portion it's a mile and a half and uh there are um it's much more challenging. There are these piles of boulders in the cave because not long after the cave formed, it, there was you know unstable ground and and earthquakes because the it's a volcano, mm-hmm. you know, and so parts of the roof collapsed and formed these uh, boulder piles within the cave itself. Yeah, and there are twenty seven of them that yep. you have to crawl over, and they are some of them quite large, like the size of a. A, a, a small garage. Yeah, you like, know, like, like a two-car garage. We have a two-car garage. There were some boulder piles we climbed over that were the size of that. Absolutely. Um, and so super challenging. And so the boulders, by the way, are yeah. like some of the size of a basketball and some the size of a car. Yeah. And mm-hmm. everything in between yeah. just lying on each other at jagged, weird angles yeah. with, with little holes, like big holes between them, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you just got to kind of get over them. In the pitch black. Yeah. I mean, it's pitch black except for you've got your headlamps, you know, but man, it was so challenging. Every single part of my body hurt for three days after. <laughs> 
after <laughs> we did that. But it was it felt so rewarding to do it, and yeah. I'm so glad that we did. Um, it was absolutely magical. I've never experienced anything like this in my entire life. Like. I, it was it was sort of a transformative experience in some ways, you know that the physical challenge of it, the the experience of being in a place, you know, because there there weren't as many people doing the more challenging route that we did, mm-hmm. so there were like stretches of time, like for like an hour, where we would not see or hear any other humans. So it was just the yeah. two of us. Yeah. And so every once in a while we would stop mm-hmm. and we would shut our lights off yep. and be in the pitch black. And there's always water dripping because there's, there's seepage coming it's porous. in. Yeah. And so there's water all the time. So you, you shut your lights off and you can just hear the dripping of water and maybe your heartbeat mm-hmm. and you can't see a thing. Like With your eyes open. That's an unusual experience. Yeah. Like I, I don't know that I've ever had the experience of being in utter blackness mm-hmm. like that. Like, I mean, you close your eyes at night in a dark bedroom and, and it's black-ish, mm-hmm. dark-ish, you know. But once your eyes adjust, you can see shapes and outlines distantly. Yeah, even yeah. with your eyes closed, even through the skin of your eyes, you know, you can kind sure. of sometimes see, you know, motion or whatever. This, you know, eyes completely open, but being completely blind to your surroundings was a really interesting scenario. And I found myself, tell me if you experienced this too, with my eyes open in the pure blackness, the pure darkness, I felt like my brain was trying to fill in the blanks of the space around me, even though I couldn't see it. Oh, sure. I found my ears, because like my ears are for sure my best developed sense outside of my sight. You yeah. Know? And I found myself like really just... It seemed like my brain was taking in more input from my ears than oh, it yeah. usually does. And it mm-hmm. usually does a lot. Like, I hear everything all of the time. It's mostly great, sometimes a little bit annoying, yeah. you know? <laughs> but, like, I could sense my brain trying to make a mental map of what the space around oh, yeah. me was uh-huh. based on the echo, the reflections of the drops of water, and like the sound of the drop of water yes. dropping where it drops, bouncing off the wall, coming back to my ears. Yep. Like echolocation sort of. For sure. This yeah. reminded me of a podcast I listened to. There was a series of podcasts called Invisibilia. Yes. Uh, that I listened to years ago, this episode of this, this person who did not have, he no longer, maybe he was born without this sense of sight. Like maybe he'd never was a seeing person, um, but developed the ability to, he would make these clicking noises with his mouth to determine, like he could could see his surroundings based on the sound reflections of these clicking noises he made with his mouth. So he would go out into public, walk the city streets, go trail running, ride a bike. Like he could do all these things. Wild. Being a person that cannot see with his eyes, but he had figured out, his brain had figured out how to see his surroundings uh, based on sound. It's, it was, but I, I can see how- Of course, having, he did eventually die by riding his bike into a wall. Is that how he no. did? You're just making that up. Okay. I'm like, I don't remember that part. Anyway. Be funny though. I've thought of that 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 story with this experience. I'm like, okay, I can see how the brain, I mean, I was only in the dark for like 30 seconds, you know, like it wasn't even that long, yeah. maybe a minute. And I could feel my brain starting to try to like figure stuff out. Totally. It's Immediately amazing. making new pathways. So amazing. Yeah. The brain's amazing. It is. So the indoorsy thing we did this week is we watched uh, a show called The Morning Show. Yeah, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, and it's a show that the first season's been out, so we binged it. Shannon and I are just learning how to binge shows. We're newbies at binging shows. But oh my gosh, this one is great. It has Jennifer Aniston, uh, which is great. Always great. Because we are Gen Xers. Uh And... uh, (laughs) 
and also has Reese Witherspoon and Billy Crudup, and the the cast is amazing. Every single thing is amazing. It's Steve Carell. So in, oh, Steve Carell, of course. How could I forget? Yeah. It's just so incredibly well done. It's based on the Me Too movement. Uh, you know, oh, the, I don't yeah, want to tell you all about it right now, but just it was freaking amazing, and you should absolutely go watch it. It was just stunningly, stunningly good. They they do a really great job of exploring the just getting deeper on the issue around uh, issues surrounding the Me Too movement. Like yeah. really, like it's it's easy to attach your an immediate emotion to that that issue. Yep. You know. Um, and for good reason, like it's, it's an emotional and, you know, uh, it, an important issue, but like to scratch the surface and get down into, uh, really they, they talk a lot about complicity mm-hmm. and, and complicity of people who don't believe they're being complicit yep. in the culture. It's wow. It's really, it's stunning. Yeah, and, it's and, also beautifully done too. Oh my I have gosh! To say. Yeah, just on like a technical and visual level, the writing, everything is like A plus 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 X with extra credit, yeah. like a hundred and two <laughs> out of a hundred. Remember when you were in like second grade and you would get like a hundred and three average for a quarter because you got all the extra credits on everything. I do remember. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of us do. We were yeah. nerds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was like that though. It was just everything was so well done. Really recommend so it. So well done. Amazing acting. Amazing writing. Amazing cinematography. I mean, every single thing. And to be able to like even with a movie like you can only, you have 90 maybe 120 minutes to explore a topic they had basically 10 hours because there's right. 10 one hour episodes right. and that's a lot of lengths you can really get to that depth Shannon was talking about oh, yeah. so cool other than that this week I did a little bit of work mastering a record for Rose Rosa Limo uh, you should look her up people first name Rose last name A-L-A-I-M-O she's just such a vibrantly good human being you should follow her on socials just so you get to know her a bit she's yeah. just wonderful and lovely and so smart I, and an amazing musician I cannot wait wait for this album to be done yes. so it can go out into the world so people yes. can hear it because it's so it's good. It's so good. She rocks. It's like she's a, <laughs> she's a one woman. She describes herself as a one lady band from Ithaca, New York. And she really is. I mean, it's like, but it's like a rock band though, this band that she has constructed yeah. oh, in her mind. it's so good. It's like 90s alt rock kind it's of. So it's a good. jumping off point. Yes. Like lots of distorted guitars. Like she's, she solos. Almost every song has a guitar solo, Love which it. is so freaking great. And she's an amazing player and it's just all like melodic and really good. It's just wonderful. Yep. Uh, and that's uh, that's about it. So why don't we take a little break? Yeah. And when we come back, let's just jump right back into this now ongoing conversation we've been having for the last few weeks. Can't wait. We'll see you soon. All right. to be back with you. So let's just, you know, let's jump right in. First thing I want to say is that we got the best uh, text message from one of our Misfit stars, Mm -hmm. uh, Amanda. Uh, And she said, I'm so glad you all are continuing the conversation around dreams versus consumerism. Mm -hmm. Which I just thought was such an interesting frame for this conversation Mm -hmm. because you and I never explicitly framed it that way, but it really, in a sense, is what we're talking about. Yeah, she kind of distilled it. Yeah, this all started with an article about uh, in The the Atlantic, is that what it was? Yep. Uh, That was... Like, I'm not scared to re-enter society. I'm just not sure I want to. Yep. And it is just, you know, rabbit trailed from there. Honestly, I feel like what we're, where we're at right now is like, 
yeah, maybe I'd like to re-enter society, but maybe a different one than the one that we <laughs> currently have. You yeah. know, like and 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 beginning to sort of imagine what that might be. You know, yeah. Um, so that's that's super cool. Yeah. So you know, the, as happened last week, the moment last week, or <laughs> as happened the week before, the moment last week that we shut off the recorder to record our podcast episode, it was done. And like three minutes later, I'm like, I have more thoughts. <laughs> and so I, you know, I noted them down, and we're using that. To, we'll start there, and we have some other ideas too. The first thought I had that I just want to get out there is that humans have a desire to find meaning, uh-huh. right? It, and it's, it, I mean, it's the same impulse that made us create religion. Among other things, you know what I mean? This this right. need to find order and meaning in the universe, you know? Right. that The idea that our lives aren't random inherently, that there's a, gen, a, a bigger purpose for it, right? An explanation of something yeah. larger than ourselves. Yeah. Or something. yeah, but you know, powerful people, going back millennia now, have hijacked this impulse to serve their own ends. And specifically, I'm thinking about the pervasive societal message that you will find fulfillment in life via work. That yeah. that's where you will find your fulfillment. We spent a bunch of time last week talking about that yeah, very thing. You know? Yeah, and you know, it doesn't mean it isn't possible, mm-hmm. right? Like you absolutely can find fulfillment in work. Shannon and I find fulfillment in ours, but there's a lot of jobs that don't necessarily like, or that maybe people's relationship with their job isn't that. Like it shouldn't. The point is, it shouldn't be the point of it. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea, like that, that you know, you're saying that it's that we're we're each of us if we're each of us are searching for meaning or for purpose yeah. you know um that that you're, you're you're suggesting that that folks have identified that 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 impulse can be exploited oh absolutely so we absolutely. can they can they can take that impulse and uh make you believe stuff about what's meaningful that actually isn't meaningful. They can make you believe their stuff. Own. I mean, they can even make, oh, Shan did the mic thing, people. It's that time of the episode. Sorry. It's okay. They can make, they can make you believe stuff is meaningful for their own ends and not for yours. Not for, the, not for your good, for well, their if you, good. If you think about it, right? Like we're talking about storytelling here. We're talking about the narrative arc of somebody's life. Yeah. And if like a corporation or a wealthy person or whomever it is can replace your stories with their stories, mm-hmm. they've got you. Mm-hmm. They have you because now they're in control of your, of your narrative arc of your life. Religious organizations can do the same thing. Absolutely well. true. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a sense, like that's a huge problem with television, right? Because in mm. because like humans for millennia had to have an active imagination, you know? We had much <laughs> more agency in our own storytelling. Mm-hmm. Now we can just sit sort of catatonic on a couch and watch stories being told to us. I mean, they, they can be fiction stories like we can the, binge watch Apple TV plus shows. Sure. And that's one <laughs> version of it, but another version of it is like political television. Mm-hmm. The, the right like combination of television and then the 24-hour news cycle, that's just for an entire segment of society, you know, conservative and liberal and everything in between, that has replaced their storytelling. It's the only stories they care about and it's just being spoon-fed. They don't have to have agency in it. They don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. They just have to sit there and watch Fox News or sit there and watch MSNBC and they don't have to imagine anything because there's Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day of it just being told to them. Mm -hmm. So whenever they're not busy working at the job they've been told will be what fulfills them, they can just come home and find the rest of the fulfillment in the TV. Yeah, or in the ads too. I mean, so many stories about our lives are told in the ads, you know, that we see that, you know, describe the world as the 
company that's advertising wants you to see it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and leave little room for imagination about how you see the world. Yeah. Uh, because there, because the point the point is to manipulate us into buying their thing. Sure. You know, the point that we, we need they they want us to believe their story. Yeah. So that they they will buy their thing to get the outcome that they say we're going to get by buying their thing. So we want to bring another voice into this discussion, mm-hmm. and this voice is actually of my cousin. Oh yeah. Her name is Gretchen Seacrest. Uh, she's younger than me. All of all of my cousins are younger than I am. I'm the oldest of all of them, so you all have to pay attention and listen to me and do what I say. <laughs> That's me when I was like Actually, seven. You're paying attention to your younger cousin. It's really true because she's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So she is currently getting her master's of science in sustainability science from UMass Amherst. Amazing. And so sustainability science is a relatively new field, and here's what it is. It's an emerging field of research dealing with the interactions between natural and social systems and also with how those interactions affect the challenge of sustainability. Mm. So meeting the needs of present and future generations while substantially reducing poverty and conserving the planet's life support systems. Sign me up. What a good new field of study, <laughs> right? And so this is the thing that she's studying, and she sent me this amazing email, like right after like last week's podcast episode came out, and she's like, oh my gosh, listen to the episode. This exactly is what I'm studying for my master's. Amazing. I have thoughts. Amazing. And she literally sent like n- a numbered list, like a, a fairly long, like a, a bunch of paragraphs We could do a discussion ideas. on each one of the things she mentioned. Yeah. It was so we've, we've rich. Picked, we've picked two to... Uh, uh, that, that really just f- for where this conversation is going this week really fit in great. And so the first idea that she had that she wanted to share is that of is something that in her field of study is called social reproduction. What is it? And that's defined as how how can we better value as a society the activities that sustain our society? And mm, those might like be what? like raising families, nurturing community, providing care, teaching, creating culture, mm-hmm. art, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and she says. At one point in the podcast, you asked if it was realistic to have everyone doing jobs they enjoyed that were of service to others. And she says, my answer is, of course. The point of the economy should be to provide the things our society needs. Say that again. The point of our economy should be be to provide the things our society needs. Not wants. (laughs) Needs, right? And she goes on to say, instead... We have an economy that focuses on profits over human needs. For example, we have an abundance of flavored waters while we have a shortage of affordable housing. Mm. Oh my gosh, how deep. So deep. And the idea that if we, if we were to have an economy that was oriented to, uh, that was oriented to, to human needs as opposed to profits, then... Actually, maybe the jobs that would be uh, that would hold up that economy would be jobs in which people would be finding more fulfillment. Seriously, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it wouldn't be just pounding away to make money for investors, yeah. or for CEOs, sure. or for, you know. I felt so empty for the seven years I was working at Wells Fargo Bank. There were moments in that job arc when that's like the people I was working with and for were neat and the projects were cool and it was a good vibe. Mm-hmm. But the, again, it was one of those things where the older you get and the more your moral compass kind of comes into focus. Uh-huh. The more I just, I would go home at the end of the day thinking, what have I been working on here really? What, who have I been serving? Mm. What have I been creating? Yeah, what story were you a part of? Not yours. No. Not, not a meaningful one for your community or for people you love. Mm-mm. It was a part of somebody else's story about making themselves lots of money. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely true. That is so interesting. It's so interesting. And so, so then Gretchen continued, 
So much of this comes back to something called degrowth. 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 D-E-G-R-O-W-T-H. Degrowth. Degrowth is the idea that the goal of continued economic growth is incompatible with sustaining life on Earth. (laughs) Whoa. And she continues, we need to realign our goals and metrics to focus on human and environmental well-being. Like you said, and she continues, like you said, this means shifting our focus away from growth-oriented work and consumption. GDP is not a measure of a healthy society or economy. Wow. Okay. So degrowth, like the, I, like we have been, dr- it's been drilled into us that when the national GDP is growing, that means we're doing good. Yeah. But the evidence- Because you see, you see those quarterly reports, right? right? People, they're always talking about the GDP. The GDP's up. That's good. We're America. We're good. But if you just look at the facts on the ground, so many of us aren't doing good. Like, and I'm not even talking just financially. Even people who are doing financially okay, people who are succeeding financially in this system mm-hmm. are oftentimes not doing good. Like not being emotionally nurtured in any kind of a healthy right. way whatsoever. Or, you know, we experience so much anxiety. And, oh my God. And I mean, the, the rates of depression and, and anxiety in our country have just, they keep going up and up. Yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're, a lot of us are not doing good. And I, and I, even though we're told, the story we're told is that we're doing good when the GDP rises, you know, mm-hmm. or we're doing good when the stock market increases. Mm-hmm. Baloney. The stock market increased a whole bunch last year during a time We were of, not doing good. During a time of, un, of record unemployment and like- And record homelessness and, and record foreclosure yeah, and- yeah. And, and just absolute despair. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and 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 people not being healthy, like a literal, you know, uh, uh, there was a disease. There was a disease spreading through. Like there still is around the world, but you know, like th- yeah, that if you just look, if you just take a step back and you look at like what the, the the story that we're told means that that things are progressing versus how what people's lived experience actually is in that structure in that story it they don't line up it's such a disconnect you know and a total side note but of course the fundamental reason for the disconnect is that the media like every other major institution in our country is owned by the elite and the wealthy so of mm-hmm. course those are the stories they're telling mm-hmm. to their elite wealthy friends mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. sure it's being told via reporters and via editors but mm-hmm. like the people setting the tone at the top are it's like all, all inside baseball you know yeah. it's not stories about how average Americans are doing. It's never that. It's the GDP is good, America, you know? Well, and, like, and when you're, when you're sp- talking specifically about like the news media, you know how they always end with like a feel-good story at the end of a news broadcast or whatever, sure. you know? Yeah. I mean, how often are those feel-good stories? Some human doing an, an extraordinary act of good for someone else um, whose situation is so dire because of the deficiencies of our system. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, oh, let's feel good about, you know, the, this, this person raised, you know, you know, a hundred thousand dollars for this, uh, homeless center or yeah. whatever. Okay, what if we discovered a homelessness though? What if, yeah. Like what if that's not the feel good, maybe, maybe what if the feel good was us as a society actually eradicating homelessness and like actually yeah. providing for people's needs? Yeah. And it, really, it begs the question, what are the measures of a healthy society and economy? Oh, right. Yeah. That because, is the like, natural okay, question. Okay. So it's yes. not GDP. So what is it? 
I mean, the first one, obviously, I think, uh, well-being, right? We just, yeah, we brainstormed some ideas, like yeah. men mental well-being, yep. uh, uh, physical well-being. Sure. I Emotional well-being. Yeah. Which is related to mental, but not exactly the same. I think also, yeah, totally. I think also just people's basic needs being met, yep. like food, shelter, healthcare, clean water, clean air. Yeah. Social connection, uh, connection with other humans. Yeah, like a meaningful connection, right? Like mm -hmm. not just surfacey connections. No. Not like, uh, you know, oh, I know this guy because he works in the next cubicle over or no, whatever. Deep, like, life-sustaining connections based on an exploration of shared values. Yeah, if we had if we had more of that, mm -hmm. if, if, if there was a high percentage of that, we would be doing well. I mean, everyone <laughs> feels so isolated in our modern world, right? But what if we were able mm -hmm. to replace that with a feeling of belonging? Can we have a belonging index? Right. <laughs> if the belonging index were charting or were, were like trending upward. Well, you know that there is a group of social scientists that have been making for many years now a thing called the uh, happiness index. And mm. it measures stuff like this. It measures mm. places around the world to live and countries mm -hmm. based on all these sorts of things. Oh this is gosh. what we're talking about, right? A feeling of being a part of something, of contributing to something, of being a smaller part of a larger mm -hmm. whole. I mean, it goes back to the idea of connection, but now it's not just social connection. It's, co it's communal connection. Well, and also what you just said there, the idea of being part of something or contributing to something like that's like that that's the work that we do that actually might be meaningful yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like the work that we do to contribute to a society that measures its well-being on these factors yeah. and not GDP yeah. we might actually feel like that work is worth something then and maybe we would feel less depressed about Seriously. about a, if you, you can know. see like one-to-one -one the tangible real-world effects of the work you're doing as being helpful to other people yeah. you know mm -hmm. oh my gosh I, mean, I also think that like part of this would like in in this utopia that we're <laughs> describing right now that if we, if we had a, a high measure of people who feel uh worthy of receiving other people's contributions too you know like yeah. of 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 there being a a feeling of freely giving and receiving yes Absolutely, mm -hmm. you know, this uh, GDP is not a measure of a healthy society economy, right? And like, this idea really for me, total side note here, but it shines a, to a really unfavorable light on so much of this modern crop of tech companies, you know? Oh, yeah. So much of like the modern version of like what it is to be a corporation. Mm. And, you know, it's tech oriented and it's solving problems that don't necessarily even exist. Like they're just making things up out of thin air and addressing them, you know? Mm. But what problems are they solving that are actually core to our human existence? Uh, oftentimes not not really any at all, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, do you really need your sandwich three minutes faster? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Especially when you consider the pyramid of exploitation that's based upon, right, you know? Right. A lot of these companies aren't even contributing to the GDP. Also, total side note, but they're mostly propped up by venture capital. Most mm -hmm. of these companies don't even turn a profit. Uber has never turned a profit. Uber loses more money every single year, but they keep getting infusions of venture capital. Where does the venture capital, where does the venture capital come from? Most of it comes from Saudi Arabia because it's a complicated money laundering scheme yeah. for Saudi oil money. Yeah. Real talk. And oftentimes a lot of these tech companies are just money laundering or tax evasion schemes for the super wealthy. But the story that we're told about them is this is human innovation, technological innovation to make your lives better, to make your lives easier. And what, That's the story. And what actually it is, it's money games for the 0.0001%, which are ruining our world mm -hmm. and disconnecting us from one another, mm -hmm. causing all of the societal disconnect and isolation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really wild. Anyway, that was a bit of a side note. That's okay. I think another, oh, do you had a point? Well, Go no, ahead. I just wanted to bring it back to, you know, again, 
on the idea of what are measures of a healthy yeah. society and economy, probably the biggest one really writ large is the idea of democratic representation in our government. Actual democratic representation, yeah. not a proxy for it, not sort of, not mitigated, mm -hmm. not like, yes, you, you can go vote, but the outcome is predetermined as is so often the case oh, yeah. here, you know? Yeah, there are so many countries around the world that we point to all the time here in the U.S. who they, they say they're having elections, but, you know, we all know that those elections are rigged. Yeah. You know, that's becoming more and more the case here with yes. all the voter suppression. On and, a state-by-state -state basis. I mean, there are, there are states passing laws right now that, are, that would allow their legislatures to overturn uh, the results of uh, of what the voters vote for. Yeah. In like a, an upcoming presidential election, for instance. I mean, this is not democratic representation anymore. This no. is just rigged, you know, and we're getting, we're sliding more and more into that. By the way, Congress really needs to pass the For the People Act to save off that yeah. kind of stuff. And you know, it's the wealth, it's, it's like always the wealthy and the well-connected who are rigging the game like this so that they can just always do what they want. But in a healthy society, power is not solely with the wealthy or well-connected. No. It is with the people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, so we need some kind of a measure <laughs> to measure in a society how much power actually exists with the people in an egalitarian kind of way. I bet there's a democracy index somewhere. There's got to be a democracy this. index, yes. Yeah. This, this idea, like... Um, goes back to I, I, I've heard lots of different people talk about this I think the most the first time I heard this was Brene Brown mm -hmm. um, in one of her conversations on her podcast with somebody but this idea of we live in a society right now in which power is something that is that that a person has over someone else like so person A has power over person B yeah you know um, and that uh, a healthier way to be not just I mean in, a, in an interpersonal way, as well as on a societal scale, is power with others yeah. as opposed to power over others. That's right. And this, this, there's a direct line that we can draw to our misfit star, Whitney, who is a brilliant writer. Yes. And we've got some of her, her she had a, a newsletter this last week that just blew our socks off um, for, for a bunch of reasons. But there was one particular thread and she's been really writing a lot about this idea of hierarchy, about, about the idea that hierarchy in our society is destroying us. Yeah. And, and we'll link to this newsletter, by the way, in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just, it's another phenomenal piece of writing. We talked about one of her, art, her, her writings last week again. She's just on a roll. Way <laughs> to go, Whitney. And, and, uh, and the ideas that are percolating in our mind are, are our mind, like you and I share a mind, because we do, we do. <laughs> are clearly the same. There's something in the universe because Whitney's thinking about him right now, too. That's weird how that happens, right? It is. It is. So we excerpted some stuff here uh, from what Whitney's been talking about. Like, there's part, I, we want to read to you basically three paragraphs uh, from her most recent newsletter, and they're not contiguous paragraphs, and one of them, mm. I have, like, one of them is more paraphrasing okay. and direct quoting, just because yeah. there were some references to other things in her newsletter that wouldn't make sense excerpted. Yeah. So I just cleaned them up to make yeah, it so yeah, yeah. that it would stand alone. But, you know, but it starts, she starts at a certain part this. She says, yes, the Roman Empire engineered sewers, sanitation, roads, and running water. So like, like innovations in yeah. society, like like we were just talking about the tech yes, companies, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And and for sure, things that made people's lives better, right? Nothing mm -hmm. nothing wrong with sewer, sanitation, roads, and running right. water. So sure. we now call infrastructure, right? Yeah. But it did so, she continues, it did so on the backs of slaves and others all of whom they forbade to partake in their native woodland mystery ceremonies. Like their 
What do you mean by that? What, what do you think she means by that? I think she means like the uh, there's there's you know humankind going back millennia have had you know seasonal rituals you know based around the solstice for example okay. or you know around crop cycles or stuff like that and they would make them into like ceremonies like r mystic rituals you know okay. the, the religion subsequently took most of those things and replaced it and, with the message that religion wanted them to have the story they that's wanted. it but they did them all on the same dates so that instead of now celebrating the winter solstice you celebrated Christmas right. instead of celebrating the fertility uh, ritual, which would kick off the the planting season for your agrarian society. You have Easter. You know what right. I mean? So, like the parallel to now, like to to modern times, you know, like America was built on the backs of slaves, and like you know, the idea is that like you know you you, you exploit people and then make it uh, illegal for them to participate in the rituals or 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 ideas that that they historic that their people have historically tried to make sense of the universe, yes. like taking away their imagination. Yeah. So Whitney continues. Okay. Uh, Thus, the Roman imperialists achieved subjugation by separating the people from themselves mm -hmm. and orienting them instead toward the Roman leadership. In other words, towards capital and away from their internal voice. And I'm paraphrasing here that voice that tells you instinctively what's right and true. Mm, okay. Right. So like. So, if, if we're bringing this back to like the stories, the sto the story metaphor that we were yes. been sort of talking about, you know, that that what what the cap what capital wants from us is is to make our individual stories, um, uh, I guess, to to get to separate us from our to separate our, us from our own individual stories. Absolutely. And to adopt instead the stories that, that capital wants us to have. Yes, they replace is, our stories with their stories. You know, when I think about that, just like, you know, if, if my dreams and imagination and the ways in which I identify myself, when I think about those things being taken away from me and replaced with with a narrative that 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 somebody who has power over me wants me needs me to have to continue to serve the system that enriches them mm -hmm. that just is a horribly depressing thought and it is no surprise that we are so freaking depressed yeah you know what i mean we don't know ourselves because we live in a system that requires us to adopt these stories that aren't good for us that aren't our own yeah uh and leaves no room for us to reach back into who we actually are and what we actually need and what we what kind of world we want to build. Yeah. And replaces it with the story that our exploiters need for us to buy into. To keep doing the things that they need us to do to continue building them wealth and not us. Right. Yeah. This is it's no wonder so many of us feel dislocated. Uh, Whitney continues, mm. reorienting away from capital, from capitalism, does not mean poverty or whatever dismal and demonic scenario the hierarchical top spooks us with. Because, mm. right, that, I mean, total hitting pause here, but yeah. like, that's what we get told all the time. If we don't have capitalism, it's, it's going to be communism, going to be socialism, the world's going to be ruined. Bread lines for everybody if we don't have capitalism. Yeah, poverty <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't mean that. It simply means, she continues, it simply means we become the gatekeepers to our imagination, the only infinitely renewable resource on earth mm. and the gateway to what lies beyond this life. Mm. It means we reorient 
to ourselves. Uh. If there is a lesson here, she continues, it is that perhaps it is easier to imagine the end of capitalism than it is the end of the world. The, the, and this is a reference to something like people say a lot of the times that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. Well, and she, that was the, the, the sort of premise of this whole newsletter yeah. of hers. She introduced the whole piece mm -hmm. with this idea that it is often easier to imagine uh, the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. But she's saying right. here, it, perhaps it is actually easier to yeah. imagine the end of capitalism. Mm -hmm. That in fact, to not do so is to ensure the end of the world. Mm -hmm. That we have not imagined such a future for ourselves collectively is a fait accompli of the hierarchy who stand to lose access to our hearts, minds, and lives if we do imagine a future that is not mediated by them. Mission accomplished for the people in charge of the hierarchy is what she's saying. Yes. Uh, that we can't imagine something different than what we have. And, right she's, and she finishes up by saying that is why toppling the hierarchy begins and ends with our imagination and why we must guard it as though it is as precious as the sun. Man. Yeah. Man. The, the, these are thoughts I that she, she really put into, and I really encourage you to follow the link in the show notes and read the whole piece. Um, for me, she really put into words thoughts I've been having on on this general topic for a few years now, and I find myself just attaching to it in different ways mm -hmm. and in different in different moments. Um, but this this really spoke to me, you know, and and this idea that that it seems impossible. It seems impossible when we think about the facts on the ground, like uh, of changing. The, the world from what it is now. And like the idea of like, you know, maybe I don't want to reenter this society <laughs> that we have had, that we have right now. Maybe, you know, this is where this conversation started, mm -hmm. right? Like maybe I don't want to come all the way back into that. But what if, what if we, what if it was different? Maybe I, we, maybe I would want to fully enter a different society, but it seems impossible to imagine something different with the way that we are so entrenched in this current status quo. Yeah. It seems, it seems like, just an impossible climb. Yeah, it does. But again, I think that that's because we have been condi conditioned by these very same people to believe that it's an impossible climb. Right. But what if it isn't? And right. that's the question, right? Yes. Like, what if we can reimagine this? And, you know, I think a really instructive question for us each to ask ourselves is, whose dreams are we dreaming? Yeah. Whose dreams are you dreaming? Right. And if they're not your own, well, what are your dreams? Mm-hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, and, do they map to dreams that other people that you know have? Well, then maybe it's a shared thing. Maybe it's not just you being weird and having some weird outlier dream. Maybe this is stuff that actually so many of us are thinking about. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think you're right about that. I think also sometimes when when we're asked in the context of this current, the way that our, our, the, our society is currently organized, sometimes when people are asked the questions, what are your dreams? They'll report an answer that is like, well, I want to be, I want to be a millionaire and I want to live in a big house. And I, you know, like yeah. they report dreams. I want a boat. Yeah. They report dreams that look and sound a whole lot like the stories we've been sold from the current status quo. Mm -hmm. And that maybe we need to scratch a little deeper 
on what are our dreams. Yeah. You know, like maybe that's, because I think that, that that sometimes is often, you know, we dream for, we dream for comfort. We dream for relief from whatever present agony we have, which, you know, is often the result of this broken society we have, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the easy answer often is just, is just to go to go to that same story that, yeah. that's not actually our story. So we need to cultivate we need to cultivate moments in our lives, uh, time in our minds, with our minds and, and, and with our spirits to discover what our dreams actually are and and not just, you know, echoes of what the 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 hierarchy tells us our, what our dreams ought to be. You know, does like, that make sense? What oh, I'm saying? Uh, it absolutely does. It makes me think that like the best way to dream in, in this context, like dream like a three-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, if you ask a three-year-old what their dreams are, it's never like about <laughs> money or a boat or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's just about something fantastical that mm-hmm. stimulates their imagination and makes them feel excited when they think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that all gets replaced with corporatized versions of dreams as we get older, mm-hmm. you know, and quickly. And I also want to just totally put a little parenthetical here just to say that, you know, there are some three-year-olds who grow up in an incredible amount of trauma, you know, and they're probably, they, their dreams probably have much more to do with like mm. basic needs and safety and stuff. Mm. But for those of us who are privileged enough to have an adult who's just taking care of that stuff, mm. you know, and leaving a little three-year-old us able just to dream, mm. I think what we're hoping for is the idea that like, what if we created a society where the society is like that parent that takes care of, of our basic needs mm-hmm. so that we what can dream. What if we dream, are that for each other? And what if we can, what if that that then were enable us as adults to dream like three-year-olds dream. Yeah, yeah. And to get to that, we have to be willing to start dreaming now. Yeah. Like, you know, this is the idea. I was, I was, I was exploring this notion a couple of years ago uh, when we when we made the the record Revolutionary Acts of Optimism. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really essentially what that whole album is about. It's the idea that believing that the believing that things can be different or the believing that things can be better, which I think is how a lot of people would describe optimism, you know, believing that is revolutionary in this system that we live in right now. Like this system that we live in right now does not want us to believe that anything can ever change. Yeah. And that our lives could be any different or any better. And so it begins with us choosing to believe that it that it can be different. Yeah, absolutely. And so in that spirit, uh, we're going to end this episode a little bit differently than mm. we normally end episodes. Instead of doing the normal bumper music, uh, you know, and we start talking over it and we wish you goodbye, what we're going to do is we're going to say goodbye to you now and we're going to leave you at the end of this episode with the last song from Revolutionary Acts of Optimism. It's a song Shannon's been talking about. It's a song called Tables. If you want to read along with the lyrics, you can just go to shannoncurtis.net slash lyrics and uh, just scroll down to the Revolutionary Acts of Optimism album and just click on tables and you can read along. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, maybe we'll just let let this be the idea that we leave you with uh, this week. Yeah, and you know, on that too, as, as you listen, as you have listened and as you listen to the song, if you've got thoughts on this topic, we of course want to hear them. And this is the thoughts that people shared with us this past week. It was what spurred on today's conversation. And if you've got more thoughts to share, reactions, feelings, questions, 
please share them with us. Like, this is the good stuff. This is what we're here for, mm -hmm. you know? And it seems like this is a very rich topic right now uh, that we may be exploring at some length, and we would love to know your thoughts. Yeah, so if you are part of the Misfit Stars community, you can just uh, post your comments in the replies to this podcast episode in the Misfit Stars social network. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not part of the Misfit Stars community, you're just listening, you're not part of the community, uh, first of all, we'd love for you to join. You can do that at misfitstars.com slash join, um, and then you can become part of that social network and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there. Or you can send either one of us an email, jamie at misfitstars.com, shannon at misfitstars.com. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so shall we? Yeah. So uh, we'll wish them goodbye now. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Uh, please, you know, this next week, we'll be back again uh, next week. But in the meantime, take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah. We love you all. And uh, we're going to leave you here with tables and we hope you love it. And we'll see you next week. See you soon. This is the way it always will be. The trying for change is just swimming upstream. Our resignation is windful lies like these. But what if we aren't swimming? What if we're the river? The people were born for the purpose of toil. There will always be the rich and the poor We re-surrender, yield to the status quo But what if it's a phantom? What if we're its master? The table
君。